Today's scripture reading comes from John chapter 4, verses 13 to 26, which reads, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go. Call your husband and, call, and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Thank you, Jabin. And uh, actually, there's a little bit more, <laughs> I think, maybe the, it, it was a miscommunication. Let me continue on 21. Uh, I don't know if we we're going to project it. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yeah, the time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Verse 26, then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Okay, that might have been a cross-up in things that I sent out. Okay, well, today we arrive at the fifth and final message in our uh, evangelism series, stemming from the phrase, we proclaim him, out of our church key verse uh, for the year. Uh, we've explored several simple uh, methods of sharing the gospel with our friends and neighbors and colleagues who do not yet have faith in the Lord. So quickly, I started with contact, uh, bringing people into contact with Christ or Christ's people through the example of Matthew, the tax collector. Then we looked at Tabitha, how she was a servant of many, how she sacrificed so that they could experience the love of God and come to faith. And then through John 4, we've been exploring conversational evangelism, using dialogue and helpful questions to guide a person one step or more uh, closer to Christ. Uh, my sermon title remains the goofy one I coined, Convertisations, to uh, keep us thinking about conversion, um, so trying to help someone convert from unbeliever to believer, and also about reforming our own approach or mindset about how to effectively share the gospel. Being the third pass at this particular passage of John 4, uh, unsurprisingly, the title is Convertisations 3. Uh, our Convertisations messages have been uh, organized around my adaptation of key points of the conversational evangelism book authored by David and Norman Geisler. Uh, the emphasis has been on asking the right questions 
in the right manner to help our friends surface and identify key issues and areas that indicate and hinder this journey toward Christ. Uh, as an example of type A, a type A question, um, Jesus definitely employed the water well setting and the physical thirst of both he and the Samaritan woman uh, to surface her need for living water, which was far superior to just H2O. Uh, as an example of uh, type B, last week we saw how Jesus uh, brought up the topic of the woman's marital uh, instability. This was an apparent sore spot uh, evinced by uh, the woman's arrival uh, at the water well at an hour of the day, not frequented by other water carriers. Her avoidance of people indicated an avoidance of the marriage topic. And yet, as we noted, even though Jesus talked about this, uh, the woman became neither defensive nor offended. So this wall of isolation and silence surrounding the matter, right? When Jesus brought it up, it did not cause the conversational journey to come to a screeching halt. Indeed, it surfaced uh, a more deeper, um, a deeper, a more important issue uh, for her that she was waiting uh, for the Savior. Right? That's what she was really interested in. Not water, not husbands, uh, a savior. Uh, which brings us to our focus today, a type C question. Uh, these help surface um, kind of bridges or, or ways, means, next steps right, to uh, help someone consider, understand, respond right, to the gospel and person of Christ. So. How do we bridge our f getting someone to think about Christ and maybe like being interested in Him? How do we bring them yeah, to the Lord? How do we not only help uh, open up things and maybe identify uh, issues or barriers, but to move past that? Uh, this is not such an easy formulation, right? Surfacing some doubts longings or discrepancies, uh, I think that can happen readily enough. So we, we encounter problems uh, in daily living. But there's a distinction between helping someone uh, kind of acknowledge that, yeah, I have unanswered doubts. There are discrepancies in my life, unmet longings, uh, unreconciled things in my beliefs and values. Right? It's one thing to get someone to uh, say, yeah, those exist, yeah. I agree. Um, there's something uh, we'll identify as belief that. Belief that. Right? So uh, in conversations, right, it's if you're, you know, uh, if the Lord is leading and the person is responsive, I think in a number of cases you can get someone to, yeah, to believe that. Jesus might be the Son of God, or Jesus might be somebody that I should really uh, explore, examine, investigate, look into, uh, consider. 
that he really was someone special that I can't just uh, ignore. That it often is a decision or a process of the intellect of the mind, right? And apologetics can help that, belief that. But it's different from belief in, right? To believe that Jesus was someone special, that I should look into him more, to actually believing in what he has done for me, believing in uh, his death and resurrection, believing in him as Lord and Savior. Uh, that's the bridge <laughs> that's uh, so needed, that is hard, I think, uh, to build. Right? Like, the, like a, I always give the example of a chair. Like I can study the physics of a chair. I can uh, watch someone build it. I can have it, see it tested and all that. I can have faith that the chair can support my weight, but until I actually sit down in the chair right, and experience <laughs> whether it... My faith is warranted or not. Right? Faith in the strength of the chair to support my weight. There's a, a difference. And many people, I think, are kind of, uh, this is where they get stuck. Right? They're willing to talk to me or uh, us about maybe religious matters, maybe about life's problems, maybe about discrepancies. But they're not willing to take that, you know, say leap of faith or take that next step. And so uh, how do we uh, get to that? How do we become more adept at surfacing uh, uh, the bridges or the, uh, the, the, the next board, if you will, um, to help someone go from evaluating Christ to, let's say, embracing Christ? Well, how did Jesus accomplish this? Uh, with the Samaritan woman. Uh, let's take a look. Um, the first thing I want to say is actually to observe not what Jesus said, but what he didn't say. Right? What he didn't say. Right? Now, in verse um, 18 here, he, he does say something, right? He says, um, I don't know, you can read it there on the screen or on, on your, uh, on the uh, projector, right? Um, I, the point I want to make is that Jesus spoke the truth, no doubt. There's actually the use of the word two or three times, right? He says that you are right, the fact is, right, what you have said is quite true. So there's no skirting right, reality, there's no skirting the truth. There's a lot of, of truth in there. Jesus means business, he identifies the elephant in the room, and then makes the Samaritan woman acknowledge it too. So um, he does say this, but notice what he doesn't say. Right? And I'm, of course, you know, reading into it, he speaks the truth, but he doesn't speak condemnation. Right? Like I said last week, the Samaritan woman's story is safe. It's very safe uh, with Jesus. He was not only truthful, but he was tactful. He not only surfaced the real barrier in the woman's heart, but he didn't pick it up and hit her over the head with it. Um, in, in our conversations with not yet believers, we really need a lot of wisdom and grace. How do we communicate you know, what is truth, what, is, what the Word of God says? Uh, in a way that it's received, 
and that it's helpful and that it's transformative, right? So we should avoid being formulaic, right? Don't just memorize a method or a technique or words or even verses. Like the power of, of verses is amazing. But if we are robotic in our usage, I think it can be counterproductive. Right? We should not be condemnatory. Right? Yeah, uh, you know, you're a horrid sinner. But I'm worse. I'm a horrid sinner too. I was probably a horrid sinner first since I had more years to be a horrid sinner than, than, than a lot of you. We should not be flippant. Right? This is not a game. Right? We're not trying to you know, win a territory or win arguments. We shouldn't be argumentative. We should not be insecure, like, you know, just because someone is not responsive or willing to concede what we think is a great argument, that's okay, right? Yeah, Jesus, in his, you know, um, wisdom and his grace, uh, he was able to really communicate, right, the truth to her, but let's say in a loving way, right? I bring us again to the verse from Paul's writings that I introduced last week from Colossians 4. Let's read it together, right? One, two, three. Pray that I may proclaim... Yeah, uh, this was... Uh, Paul's rendering of how he wanted to be a conversationalist, <laughs> and Jesus is, uh, you know, uh, the ideal one. Um, you, know, the, the, you see this uh, wisdom here. Uh, you see this uh, eagerness, right? Making the most of every opportunity. Grace, always full of grace, seasoned with salt, right? Make it salty. Uh, turn up the curiosity, right? know how to answer everyone. Um, I have a pastor friend who was uh, at Princeton um, years ago doing some, um, I think, uh, graduate study. And uh, he met on the train, he met uh, John Nash, is that the uh, famous... Uh, beautiful mind uh, uh, um, person that um, they made a movie at Russell Crowe and he was uh, just an intellectual powerhouse um, researcher and all that but he had a mental illness and, and uh, you guys might know the story but he made the most of that opportunity right he actually had the courage to go and talk to <laughs> this professor and you know be very I think winsome and uh, respectful, but also uh, he was able to, I think, give him a book. He had a book on hand, right? Very prepared. And, uh, you know, encouraged him. And, and the professor, Nasher, received it. And it wasn't a long conversation. It wasn't, um, you know, we don't know the results uh, of it. And yet um, it was a, I think, this kind of uh, just wise and graceful right, experience. Um, now, of course, conviction of sin is a necessary component in coming to Christ. The Samaritan woman, no doubt, came under conviction of sin. You know, Jesus did not 
have to tell her that uh, you need to turn from your sins, right? Go call your husband and let's figure this out. And until you do that, I'm never going to talk to you again. He, he actually just asked her serious, thought-provoking questions and like this kind of salt, he salted her life, her mind, so that her heart, so that it created a curiosity uh, to hear her more. Now, this is not an excuse. This is not a license for us to avoid talking about difficult matter or material, but wisdom and grace. You know, as the Geisler book encourages, we need to learn to ask questions that surfaced out uh, and, and um, maybe some kind of discomfort, but we have to minimize defensiveness. We have to make it so that this is part of the bridge building, in other words, right? We have to show them, we have to help them see the next step, the next board, that it's safe to, you know, cut across. Um, I was reading an article, it's actually this morning, about uh, someone, and this was a subjective impression, I think, but um, she went to her doctor, she went to a new doctor, and she was trying to establish a, a doctor-patient kind of rapport or, or, or kind of trust and, and, and like that. Uh, her doctor, I think, was very good, but he was a little too professional, right? So he had all of his questions. He, had, he was asking her stuff, and he was entering it directly. He, I think doctors do that now. They enter directly into the database, whether on an iPad or, or, or on a computer uh, and stuff. And... Um, she was hoping to kind of uh, tell him, <laughs> him about her kind of some of the um, her health history and, and some of the issues that she was struggling with, but he was a little too kind of like you know that 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 right you know challenging her like she had an inhaler prescribed by a previous doctor, but she had, didn't have an asthma workup, and so he kind of like almost accused her of like how come you didn't get an asthma workup. <laughs> he typed in <laughs> her her non-response, and then she had high blood pressure that she had never known of. Right? It was most like a recent occurrence. He goes, "How come you have high blood pressure?" And like she goes, <laughs> she's like she was thrown back, thrown uh, back by it, right? And like she had just gone through something very stressful. <laughs> you know, he clicked that in and stuff. Anyway, this was her, you know, I I know this is kind of like we have doctors <laughs> in our uh, in our congregation, so. And it might be a style issue or whatever, or this might, this, you know, we all have kind of our own subjective preferences and, and styles and stuff like that. What I'm saying, I'm just trying to point this out as the challenge that this kind of situation presents, right? That's why we really need Colossians 4.4. 4. That's why we really need wisdom and grace. That's why we really need prayer. So we really need to kind of, you know, learn and, 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 and practice and re-surrender right, to this, uh, the, the, the call that uh, God has uh, given us. Right. So the first board, I guess, is what I'm, uh, the, the image that I'm giving is not only what do we say, how do we wise and gracious, spirit-led way, um, yeah, and, and even by what we refrain uh, from saying. Okay, 
The, the second contour that I want to learn from regarding Jesus' bridge building is to see his discernment. Right? And this is uh, also just something very uh, hard to pin down. Like you can't, you can't go to a seminar and learn discernment. You can't listen to a message and learn discernment, right? This is through uh, practice, and this is through uh, prayer, and this is through, um, yeah, just uh, experience. Right? Uh, verse 19, uh, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. This is what the woman says in response to Jesus is, you're right, you don't have a husband right now. You're, you're with a man who's not your husband. I think if I was in Jesus' shoes and this is what happened, this is the woman's response, um, I would have gotten completely discombobulated, right? Uh, Jesus has been talking about husbands and truth and water and then seemingly out of the blue she brings up the proper place of worship, the location of worship. Gerizim, Mount Gerizim in Samaria, or Jerusalem in Judea, huh? Right, where does this come from? Is she trying to wriggle out of an awkward moment? Is she being avoidant? Is she deflecting? I don't think so. Jesus expresses no consternation or confusion. He just takes it in stride. Actually, I think he knows what she's really getting at. And that's where the power of his discernment is, uh, helps build the next bridge. Even in her kind of honorific address of him as sir, I can see that you're a prophet. This is something worth looking into. Right? In conversational evangelism, right, people might acknowledge something about you, about me. It might be something like, oh, I can see that you've thought a lot about this. Or I can, I can see that you're really passionate right, about your faith. Or you are very uh, persuasive. Or even you're right. I never thought of it uh, that way. And if you are like me, sometimes you get kind of focused on what they just said. You're like, woohoo, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm actually, you know, making head, headway here. Things are, you know, there's, we're taking the right kind of steps, right? Um, but you can't let that, like, distract you. We can't let that. Uh, hinder us from really trying to see what this person is saying. Now, it might really be a, um, a compliment. Right? They really are being uh, willing to kind of um, meet us, right, in in our in our conversation. Uh, but it also, right, can be flattery. It also can be a, a means of distraction. Right? And if we uh, aren't aware of that, if we're too self-congratulatory or too self-absorbed, right, we can miss a crucial moment. Right? So to be able to like hear somebody and understand, comprehend what they're saying, but to have the, the depth, the discernment to really kind of make maybe deeper connections or have... Um, more uh, wisdom in understanding what they're saying. Uh, this, this is this is what makes it so hard, right? Yeah, I was on a, a mission trip to China once, and I had to give my testimony to, to a group, and and I shared, you know, my own spiritual walk, um, where I had been 
what I had learned along the way, how it interacted with, you know, who I was and, and my struggles, my questions, and how the Lord and the, and the Bible especially met, you know, those questions. And, um, you know, afterwards, um, one of the uh, people who wasn't a believer um, in the group um, kind of, you know, came and talked to me. Right? We had a, a further conversation. And he was, I, I said, oh, did, was there anything in my uh, testimony that didn't make sense or that you wanted to kind of, you know, I could share more about? And or he said, no, he understood everything that I said through the translation. And uh, I asked him, um, so um, did you relate to any of this? Did that speak to, into your life at all? Like, uh, I thought that was a natural next step. And he said, uh, he said something like this. He said, oh, I think you are a, great testimony giver, <laughs> I forget the exact word, and that, uh, you know, you obviously lived or uh, a successful life, and, you know, I'm glad you found Christ. Um, so, very, very positive response, you, could, you might say. He said, but um, you and I are different, right? Um, you are somebody who's competitive, or you are somebody who's tried to um, aspire to certain things, and then when you didn't uh, reach them, um, you, re, um, you found you you looked for, you searched for something deeper, and you know in your own way, you found it. So basically, he's saying that some of the things that I went through, he didn't go through, and ergo there'd be no connection. Let's stop talking. <laughs> that that's kind of the implication I got. So, you know, I tried to you know share with him a little bit more, and um, I actually felt that. Um, you know, instead of just walking away and just letting him be, I, I should, you know, try to see if there was uh, other another connection uh, that I could make. But basically, you know, I was able to kind of point out that, you know, what his, uh, even though he didn't think that he was successful or trying for the highest things and whatever, aspiring to be to be the best, he felt the same kind of emptiness. Right? In his his way, his was like, I just want to be a kind of an average guy, and I just, you know, I, I just want things to be, you know, give me be given a chance and fairness and stuff like that. So he thought he thought that was different from, let's say, the way that I approach things. But the same kind of disappointment, the same kind of comparison, right? Maybe we're in different. Uh, areas and fields and levels and 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 and, and um, situations and contexts, but the same kind of like, um, how come this is not working out? How come this is not uh, fair? How come this? How come? How come this is not um, uh, you know satisfying? Even when he had that kind of uh, result or that kind of outcome, right? yeah, I. I, I I, I prayed, and I still pray that that helped him a, a little bit, right? But that moment where someone responds, uh, someone says something, and what should we do next, right? Yeah, that is, uh, I think, a time where uh, we really, you know, have to follow uh, or learn from uh, what uh, Jesus right, did, right? Um, he was not impressed with her being impressed by him. Yes, he was a prophet, and yes, she should call him sir, but she did not. he did not let that distract or detract from what 
she was really saying, right? What Jesus saw was that it wasn't this kind of like attempt to veer away from, from the conversation about water and about weddings, right? It really, in her mind, and maybe she didn't quite um, explain the segue, but Jesus was able to see that this person, despite her reputation, had actually taken the time to contemplate spiritual truth, spiritual needs. Right? He saw that she connected this. She had been following this water discussion to husbands, and now what she was doing was, okay, I have a physical thirst. It's an existential thirst. It's a relational thirst. But the real question I have, Mr. Prophet, is what about my spiritual thirst? What about worship? What about God? Where am I supposed to worship him? How am I supposed to worship him? You guys say this. Uh, Samaritans say that. And so she's, in her, in her way, she is uh, on point, right? She's not unidimensional, right? She's not trying to, you know, jump or flit from one thing to another. And most people are not. That's one of the conversions that we need as you know, uh, people trying to share the gospel, trying to, we have to establish the paradigm that as we talk to people, um, a lot of things that they say um, will, if we are discerning enough or if we are wise enough, um, there is a lot of truth, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot more that they're saying. They're not saying, but if we uh, are able to help them, right? if we're able to look into their hearts, um, you know, that's what Jesus did. He looked into her heart and uh, found a hunger for God that nothing else uh, could fulfill. Right? Yeah, that this desire for worship was what was at bottom the question that she needed uh, answered. Right? Yeah. And that's, an, that's a great insight into life. We are a perennially worshiping species. We were made to worship. Uh, we we're made to follow. The religious impulse is one of, if not the strongest drives that exist in the human uh, psyche. I had a recent conversation. And uh, we we're talking about you know the politics of the day and how people gravitate towards certain kind of leaders or figures or individuals, right? Hero worship. And uh, I had a real interesting conversation to try to turn some of the negativity of today's uh, U.S. politics and maybe world, worldwide into this kind of desire, this um, hope to look for somebody who can get us out of our struggles, get us out of our problems, get us out of our of our um, unhappiness, right? Yeah. So this desire to elevate like a human leader or uh, even if they're not perfect or even if they're, it, this kind of constant need to do that, that, that actually is related to our hunger for God. Right? You know, God, in God lies the answer. In God lies the ultimate hero. That, that we're looking for. And so when we look for it in a person, when we look for it in a spouse, when we look for it in our children, when we look for it in our government, ain't gonna happen, right? 
Um, and, and that's, I think, what kind of what we're seeing um, in this woman. Right? She had reflected quite ably about worship. She was um, aware of the disparity that existed between religious authorities about the proper place of worship. Right. So, real briefly, um, there is one temple in Jerusalem when Israel was uh, one kingdom. Um, the temple of, that built by Solomon, right? Uh, but because of uh, the split between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, right? There, a second temple, a second place of worship was uh, identified, and that was where the Samaritans were worshiping because they didn't, the people in the south didn't want everyone to go to the north, right? The other way around, sorry. The people of the north, that's Israel, didn't want them to go to Judah, where Jerusalem, uh, the temple in Jerusalem was located. So you have two locations, and there was constant bickering, constant criticism about which is the proper place, the authoritative place. And that's what she is addressing. Right? So she asks about location, right? She asks about a matter relating to worship. But this is what I think uh, is where, again, we see Jesus' just amazing in, uh, insight and, and discernment. You know, she, her, her question is clearly about, like, worship location. Um, but he uh, doesn't, he, he kind of dismisses the location quite quickly. Right? He says, nobody knows what they're talking about, right? And in fact, it's not going to matter where you worship. It's actually a issue of like who, right? Who we worship. Um, to worship God, you have to worship in spirit uh, and truth. So the main issue, as I was thinking about it, was not even in the woman's, even though she didn't say it, the main issue to the woman was not where to worship, but it was about can someone like me Am I qualified to worship? Right? Um, all this, this story is, 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 this context is really about um, kind of how, whether as a Samaritan, they were excluded, right, from worship. The Jews at the time did not recognize, did not, you know, even acknowledge the personhood of the Samaritans, let alone their qualification to worship whether in Gerizim or in uh, Jerusalem. Right? And added to that, here is a Samaritan woman with her uh, particular uh, uh, backstory. Um, would God accept someone like her? Right? Would there be legitimacy? Even if she went to the right place, would she be accepted, a Samaritan like uh, herself? You know, actually, that, am I qualified? Uh, would God really accept someone like me? Uh, in the conversations I've had, and I was chatting with this with Mona last week about this, what are some of the barriers that come up? This comes up a lot. I don't know if it's because of, of the clientele, <laughs> the people that we talk to, right, that we uh, share the gospel with. But um, this kind of like, uh, the, the biggest barrier is, um, am I uh, am I worthy to worship? Am I worthy 
to become a Christian. Even though we've been talking about like none of us are worthy and you know we're wretched sinners, right? Horrid sinners and Jesus died on the cross on Good Friday and rose from the dead to show that it's not by our merit or by our abilities or by our goodness that we can be saved. That's why Jesus had to die. Even though we've been explaining that deep down, right? It's really hard for many people to think that Okay, even though God wants me, or you say that the Lord wants me to um, worship Him, whether it can happen, <laughs> whether it'll ever be uh, acceptable, right? Am I good enough? Right? And it's not only like, okay, for the past, but I don't know, if, again, if it's because people are so performance-oriented or so good at, they're, they're, they've lived a perfect life, educationally, professionally, relationally, whatever. But they're often worried about, can I be good enough in the future? Right? And then so you know, this you know, warrants a, a further explanation that it's not only about uh, our, the sins that we've committed, but it'll be about the future as well. If we needed grace, right? To start the Christian life, we're going to need grace to continue the Christian life. Right? We're always going to struggle with our sinful nature until it's removed, uh, in other words. right? So, um, I want to make this commitment, I've heard, but I don't know if I can keep it. Right? That's the barrier that I think um, people express. And that's, I think, in, in, in essence, it's what the woman uh, is saying right? yeah, we and what's Jesus's answer uh, to that to if, if the woman's question is really not necessarily where to worship but can I worship will God accept someone like me right the short answer is yes the long answer is yes the always answer is yes right? yeah, we uh, I, we use a term that we're overqualified to be forgiven overqualified to be accepted by God's grace. We're overqualified to become a Christian. We're overqualified to worship. Uh, and, and I want, I want to say that, um, uh, I had to infer quite a bit, but I, I want to say that that's what Jesus kind of zeroes in on. Uh, he, that is the, the thirst. That is the big question. That is the, the, the board that she needs to, to step on that um, she is, yeah, uh, Jesus wants her, God wants her, right, to worship. Um, let's finish then with verses uh, 21 through 24, um, the last mark um, for us to, how, what does Jesus actually say about worship? Um, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship uh, the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, I'm going to skip down. 23, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers, worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. As we said, worship is not uh, primarily about time or location or style. Right? These days, right, in, Christ, Christ, in Christendom, uh, worship style, right, worship attire, uh, worship focus, you know, instruments versus a cappella, Sunday versus other days, 
homes or, or auditoriums uh, or cathedrals, you know, there's 101 varieties, and often that is the issue amongst uh, many uh, people. But Jesus says that you know, worship is not about a holy place or a preferred style, but it's about a holy person. Right? The recipient, the object uh, of worship is the most important. Right? And um, the way that we worship God properly is spirit and truth. Right? Uh, truth, we've already seen. Right? We've talked about that quite a bit uh, here. The truth about the woman's past, the truth about what the woman needs um, what is, uh, how do we understand what Jesus says here about worshiping uh, in spirit? Now, there's many ways that it could be uh, approached. Um, I think basically, uh, I want to just say that, as he says here, God is spirit, right? So, you know, as I've been saying, the focus of worship, right? If our focus is on, like, again, how something sounds or how I feel about, you know, the way a worship service goes or uh, time and location, if that's the primary issue, we're not worshiping in spirit, right? If we're not communing with God, if we're not drawing close to God, if he's not whom we are um, worshiping, that would not be a spiritual uh, service, right? The... There's many means of worship, right? Uh, it could be uh, oral, right? Through the, it could be oral, it could be visual, it could be emotional, it could be physical, tactile, nasal, you know, <laughs> smells can, can affect how, how we worship. But those are all means. The end is the spirit of God, right? Because uh, God is spirit. Um, yeah, uh, so just to reiterate, um, what Jesus says is, um, it's not whether you're a Samaritan, it's not whether uh, you are a woman, it's not whether you've had five husbands or zero husbands, it's not about Mount Gerizim, it's not about anything else, but whether you're truthful before God and that you really want uh, to meet him. Right? That was the bridge right? uh, that Jesus used. That was what helped him, helped her, helped him help her uh, to go from evaluating the gospel to embracing it. Right? And so it closes with, I who speak to you uh, am he. Right? She walked across that bridge and she f drank uh, the living water. Okay, so uh, we've kind of looked at what Jesus did. Um, if you're like me, I go, okay, that's Jesus. He's son of God. He's, you know, he knows this stuff. Uh, he's good at it. Uh, he has insight, right, into everything. But like, I don't know how. How do I get better at finding these kind of questions? Right? So let me just finish by just making some simple suggestions. If I could put slide three back up. Now, this was the, you know, kind of the, the, the heart of the matter in terms of the sermons, right? How do we find the questions to ask? How do we 
from that. And again, like you know, you can think about them. You can plan for it. You can read books. You can ask people who who are uh, good at it, right, uh, and stuff. But I kind of want to say that y we have to struggle and we have to study. Uh, I don't mean study books or kind of just add more more and more knowledge, but we have to really kind of reflect and, and meditate, right? And so I want to say for the first type of thing, you got to really study life. Right? We can't just um, kind of go through our day just, you know, meeting our obligations, doing our, our duties, and, and just kind of from beginning to end just be exhausted. Uh, uh, we can't just run through life, whatever. You know, I know it's busy. I know it's hectic, right? We can't ignore what's happening around us. Right? We have to think about like the human condition. We have to think about where our world is in our history. It, it, it takes this kind of like um, respect or taking life seriously. And, and I think if we do that, there are a lot of uh, of kind of doubts that uh, you, you'll you'll notice. Right, that people are, are going, that you've gone through. Right? There are longings, unmet longings. Uh, there are just so many issues that life throws at us if we'll stop and think about it, right? So I think in that manner, maybe um, we can uh, learn these right questions. For the second type, type B, uh, I was thinking that we should like really kind of study ourselves, study me, your own kind of like, what kind of barriers did you have? Or what kind of like um, things do you see in your own life that kind of hinder you from drawing closer to God? Right? Uh, like, like the Samaritan woman, right? She had a, a real complicated uh, you know, marital history. Um, what is that for you? Right? How did that manifest in your own life? And, and maybe that will help us being able to right uh, come up and formulate and 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 and, and discern questions and barriers and and, and, and problems right? what makes you isolate what makes me defensive right that could take 20 years for me to unpack my own defensiveness and uh, the, the struggles that, that I have the last one is um, study others right? like Jesus somehow kind of knew this woman really well inside out he knew that when she talked about location worship he knew how everything was connected and how he could get her right to do that again divine knowledge son of God and all that but if you really want to I, I think these bridges are really um, kind of unique and personal, right? And that's the trouble with, I think, some evangelism training or, or methods. We tend to think that this can be just kind of, you can learn a technique or a method. Yeah, maybe in general, but, you know, each person is, you know, a precious sheep, uh, lost sheep, who the Lord, the Good Shepherd, uh, wants to come back to. And so their unique struggles, their unique so, you know, to spend the time to respect, right, who they are there, you know, to go through the multi-dimensions 
that that they have. I mean, you we are complicated, beautiful, you know, scintillating individuals. I'm sure we think we are, as are others. In, in other words, so um, this takes time. This takes energy. This takes commitment. But again, right? Uh, we are called to um, love others as we have been loved, right? Somebody cared enough to share the gospel with us. Now it's our opportunity. Now it's our responsibility. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we've spent some time on Sundays to go through examples and, and narratives which talk about uh, people uh, who led others closer to you. Uh, we want to be such people. We want to learn from uh, what your word says, and then we want to put into practice. Lord, help us to pray a lot for uh, those that we uh, uh, are, will share the gospel with, pray for ourselves that uh, our personal uh, experience of the gospel, uh, the wisdom and grace needed, uh, can help others grow closer. Uh, Lord, thank you for um, making uh, faith such a real, personal, comprehensive, powerful thing. Help us to realize uh, that need for faith in uh, each and every person um, that you have created, that uh, we see, Lord. Um, may we have uh, the heart of Christ, especially uh, as the Passion Week uh, comes before us. What gave him the strength and endurance to go to the cross help us to have a similar strength and endurance in telling people about the cross. In Jesus' name. Amen.